Hey LA, Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. Immerse yourself in our vibrant fashion scene where exclusive streetwear meets high-end boutiques. Stroll through styles defining our bold, wildly creative city, like the unique finds at Melrose Trading Post, a real LA gem. Explore star-studded experiences on Hollywood Boulevard, behind-the-scenes studio tours, and moments of awe under our legendary blue sky. Picture this. The iconic Griffith Observatory, inspiring directors worldwide. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's the time to leave your mark in the city of angels. Lance Bass is zatting off. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Frosted Tips with Lance Bass. An iHeartRadio podcast. Hello, my little peanuts. It's me, your host, Lance Bass. This is Frosted Tips with me, Lance. Uh, I got my co-host, my husband, the love of my life, Mr. Turkey Turchin is with us. Why, thank you. Turkey, I'm so sorry you didn't get to do the last two episodes. I know. It's, it's very, very confusing for, for people out there because you did one episode and then you disappeared. But it's I not did. your fault. You got well, stuck in Miami. I did get stuck in Miami with um, your children. Our children. Oh, my children? When they were, when they were misbehaving... <laughs> They were yours. <laughs> no, they're good. I they're kept good. them safe and sound. I really, really missed you um, because I was I was very you know busy that week. Thank goodness. So time did fly. But all I wanted to do was put together all the kids' toys that we got them for Christmas because we you know were in Miami most of the time. It's true. And so we got them this you know play kitchen, which I've always I've been wanting them to have like a little play kitchen because that's what my sister had growing up. Um, they might be a little too young for it, but. No, they'll no, grow no. into it. No, they're gonna love it. Yeah, but I couldn't screw the things in. It's it's impossible to put these weak hands. But I stupidly hurt my hand. And the older you get, <laughs> the, you get really stupid in injuries, right? You sneeze, and all of a sudden you pro, you know break a rib. Yeah. Um, I was throwing something off the back because we live on a park, and you know you're not supposed to throw food off the back. But I was feeding my birds and squirrels, so I had some bird seed and all that, and I didn't see that the fence was really that close to me, so I threw it as hard as I could in the backyard and just slammed my three fingers, thought I broke them. This was last August, and I still cannot bend my fingers. It is so bad. But the doctor said, I don't know, I guess I hurt my nerve endings, and it just takes months and months for that to heal. Never heard of that before, but... So we couldn't put together the play kitchen, but luckily last night... I couldn't twist the screws. I twisted the screws. (laughs) It all came together. Everyone a round of applause. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, enough about us, because we have a very special guest with us. Um, you are Secret Boy Band Society member number... i got to figure this out, um, because I think we're going to have honorary members, which, Turkey, you're honorary member number one. Oh. So we had... Uh, of course, I'm going to be number one, because I created the show. Number two went to... Uh, who was our first guest? Oh, my God. Oh, uh, uh, JC. Uh, but, uh, JC. Yeah. <laughs> then we had Jonathan Knight. And now today, we have... I'm not going to say my favorite boy band ever, but you're you're right there, right up there. Um, Alexander James McLean, American singer, songwriter, actor, dancer, 
and model. Mm -hmm. Is a member of the hugely popular boy band, the Backstreet Boys. Born in West Palm Beach, 1978, McLean became interested in performing at a young age and studied dance while growing up. AJ has been with the Backstreet Boys since 1993. Ah. Alexander James McLean, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Are you so excited that we named our kid after you? I am actually uh, because I know like we had talked about that forever ago mm-hmm. that if you guys ever had kids, we had talked about it. Then I threw it out and I planted the seed uh-huh. when we did the MTV Awards. Yeah. And then next thing you know. It's Alexander. It just it made sense. You know, Alexander's his other name. James is my other name. Boom. Alexander James, family See? name, and more importantly, I know you're basically our child. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm 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 a, I'm quite a few people's child. I could be like <laughs> like a like a loose godfather. Uh-huh. You know, it's just I'm 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 sure there is a godfather, but we don't do actually no yeah, because we're but well he's Jewish. Uh, I'm Baptist, so we don't really do the godfather, godmother thing, but people kind of appoint themselves as it. Okay, so, cool. Then I'll just so yeah, here. I'm we'll doing do it now. It. I'm so doing it now. It's, it's I like happening. the loose godfather. That's the, nice. Yeah, I'm the loose godfather. Yeah. Um, I'm the LGF. Lisa right Vanderpump there. appointed herself as God, the fairy god. Oh, she's the godmother. She's and the then godmother. our friend Wendy is the fairy godmother. Yeah. She's like a princess. Well, there you go. So, you know, we have yeah. all kinds of wonderful village people it. around I us. I love it. See? Uh, but let's talk about the more serious part of your career, the modeling part. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I want to know your first modeling gig, and was it 1992 <laughs> Sears Catalog? Because I would no. love to see a little <laughs> a little Alexander James in his no. little suit. Lance wishes. No, I, I yeah, no, I did. So I was probably around... God, I think I'm about four years old when I first did my first modeling thing, and it was a runway show for JC for a JC Penney's catalog. Oh, JC Penney, I chose and, Sears. Damn it! But I will say this: so this was my first, my 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 very first time knowing what a quick change was, mm-hmm. um, because it was just me and my mom backstage, and I had about twelve different looks. So every time I'd go up, I'd walk the catwalk, come back, quick change. So like midway through the show, again, I'm like four or five years old. My mom's changing me and I look up and I saw my first pair of boobs <laughs> that I had ever seen in my life. And I did not know what to think. Didn't know what was going like on. Like adult boobs or like kid boobs? No, like model boobs, oh, like, okay. like grown woman boobs. And I was just like enamored. And I was just like, my mom's trying to get me dressed and I'm just like, she's like, what are you looking at? Come on, come on. I'm like, <laughs> uh, and then, I, and then, I, you know, I proceeded to walk out holding hands with these models. Like they were my parents. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, that was my, that, that was my first ever like modeling thing. I wish I would have been asked cut two years down the road when our career really kind of started to kind of kick off 98, 99, uh, we had done a partnership with Versace for like wardrobe for the millennium tour. And Kevin had gotten really close with Donatella and she asked him to do like an actual Versace runway show oh, in really? freaking Milan. I'm like, damn it. Ooh. Why does he get to do it? And I don't get, but I did. I mean, I was lanky and kind of whatever mm. squirrely and Donatella. Kev was like in the best shape of his life. And he looked, you know, he had that mm-hmm. Tom Cruise, Christian Bale thing going yeah. on. Well, cause he, yeah, tall. He was a handsome, he yeah, is a handsome yeah. man. Yeah. For 51. Yeah, yep, I said it. 51. Uh, I don't care. 51. Uh, one, <laughs> love your mom. I mean, going back to the mid nineties, I remember when I first met you guys, probably in Germany somewhere, your mom was the one that always stood out to me. Cause she was just, so, she makes herself known. She was a lovely, lovely mo- woman. And she just made me feel so comfortable wherever I went. And she is, but I just saw her recently. Uh, where, yeah, uh, where, where was that? Her? I'm like, Oh uh, my gosh, maybe at your show. Yeah. Yes. Uh, at your yes. show in Vegas. Oh yeah. She was waving at us from the other side. I know. I like, oh, there she is. Uh, no, she is the best. <laughs> she just felt like everyone's mom, which was, and especially so coming from another group, this is so rare. She kind of was everyone's mom. I mean, there was a there was a long stretch where we had no no management, no anything, mm-hmm. and she was kind of helping to steer the ship along with some of our label folks. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she's phenomenal. I mean, mm-hmm. single single mom raised me as good as she could. I, I think I turned out okay. I mean, I'm not great, but <laughs> the jury's um, still out. Yeah, the jury is definitely still out. Yeah. But now she lives in Vegas. I mm-hmm. moved her to Vegas uh, back in 17. And she loves it out there. She yeah. loves it. She wanted to get out of Florida as fast as she could. Mm-hmm. 
as most of us do (laughs) for various reasons. Of course. Uh, Yeah. When did y'all move to Orlando? Because you moved there specifically Uh, to get an entertainment, right? Yeah. I moved to Orlando in, I want to say, 91 Mm -hmm. um, because I was in South Florida, Boynton Beach, Boca. Uh, I was doing a lot of musical theater in Boca at the Royal Palm Dinner Theater, which is now sadly a apartment complex. Mm -hmm. Uh, They couldn't keep up. And I still kick myself to this day. At the height of our career, they uh, somebody mentioned to me an offer to buy out the theater. And sadly, that was right at the beginning of my drug and alcohol days. Mm-hmm. So I just forgot and yeah. it, you know, kind of slept through my fingers, but mm-hmm. uh, or slept through my fingers. But now, sadly, it's a freaking apartment complex. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I uh, moved to, I moved to like Altamont area mm-hmm. in 91 and then moved to the Sand Lake area right down the street from Transcon mm-hmm. in 90, 92 ish. Cause I actually met Lou in 92. So for me, it's already been 30 years. Well, I want to know how you, cause you know, you did my documentary, which thank you yep. so much. Of course. Con was so fun and very eye opening for me in mm-hmm. doing all that research and for the last few years, we've been working on the scripted version of that, mm-hmm. which is going to be coming out next year. Wait till you see who plays Lou. It's going to be great. I can't say the network or anything like that yet. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the writers did all this heavy research, and I think they used your mom's book a lot uh, mm-hmm. for you. And there was a lot of things I'm like, is this true or not? So now that I have you, yes. I want to know. Um, so in the script, they have you in Orlando meeting Howie D at a Latin festival. Yep. Okay, so that was true. That is true. And you were into, you were a puppeteer. I did a little bit of everything. Um, You know, this was a 45-minute one-man show that my mom and I put together for me, showing pretty much whatever I could do. Mm -hmm. Singing, dancing, dancing, magic, Uh, puppeteering, uh, you name it. I did all of it. You're like the original Miranda Sings. I was just about (laughs) to say that. (laughs) I was just about to say that. Uh, (laughs) Hey, guys. And... Yeah, so Howie at the time had a had a, a partner, Jen, who was his girlfriend at the time, actually. They were a duo. Uh, I was performing outside. He was performing inside. And first place was, was $1,000. And I won. So my first time actually meeting Howie, I beat him, which was uh. awesome. And then I would see him a lot at auditions throughout Orlando, whether it was at Disney or Nickelodeon, because Nickelodeon was massive back then. Um and then Nick started popping up, which made no sense because they would, you know, call me and say, okay, we're looking for a young Latin boy. And then I show up and it's like a bunch of you. And I'm like, what? Just this doesn't make any sense. Like, strangely what? handsome uh, well, young yes. men. Yeah. Yes. Blonde hair, blue eye. And I'm like, how do I fit in here at all? It doesn't make any sense to me. So I never got any of the parts. Um, and, then, uh, and then Nick and I actually made it to... Nick went further than I did to the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, he actually got an offer, and I was like runner-up for whatever that season would have been. Oh, I didn't know that y'all even auditioned for Mickey oh, Mouse yeah. Club. We both. We, I feel we, like every we single person did. our age auditioned for Mickey Mouse yeah, Club. We both. We both auditioned, and then Nick got an offer. I think it was for like fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and his mom basically said. And right at that same time, he got the audition for us and picked so his mom is like at 12 years old okay you decide do you want to take a chance on this group that may go nowhere Mm -hmm. or do you want to take the deal that's on the table and go be in the and that would have been if i'm if i'm right that would have been the season that was justin jc everybody so who knows what group he would have ended up in if that had gone that way those little choices you know that butterfly effect yeah i mean that's a a big ass choice to make and if he would have chosen that we probably wouldn't be around i mean it really just would have messed up everything it would have way bad way yeah it would have been a conundrum for sure i mean it, it definitely who knows if yeah. I would have been in your group, you would have been in my group, yeah. if the group would have even happened. Probably not. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Yeah. That's, that's crazy. And then behind the scenes, you know, Lou Perlman and Transcod's putting this whole thing together. We all know the story. Mm-hmm. You know, he found out about the new kids on the blog. He's like, why do these kids have a billion dollar business? I want to be in this business. Wanted to create uh, a music group. There was no such thing as a boy band at that time. There's well, no That you know, word didn't exist. <laughs> you no, know, it just didn't exist. So he's like, I need a group like this. I want a billion dollar business. Um 
wanted to put, you know, this group together. And again, this is what my writers, you know, told me. And I'm like, I have no idea. Lou needed money, went to his investors and just quickly put a group together that I think you were a part of before. Yes. Yeah, so there, like the was, a, so there was a first incantation yeah. of Backstreet Boys, which was myself, Howie and Nick and two other gentlemen, Sam and Charles. Um, and within like the first week, um, Charles just wasn't, it just wasn't gelling. And how we knew Charles, I believe from college. So we all went to dinner. I went outside to have a cigarette cause I didn't want to even see this shit go down. Pardon me saying shit. Uh, so we all chose Howie to be the one to break the news to Charles because he knew him all to right. say, Hey man, it's just not working out. So after Charles left, uh, we got Kevin Kevin came from Disney at the time because actually, Charming, I'm sure. Yeah, Lou's limo driver at the time uh, was friends with somebody that was friends with Kevin. Kevin was doing Ninja Turtles. He was Prince Eric. He was Sebastian. Uh, he was Aladdin, all at Disney. So we got Kevin, and then Sam didn't work out. Uh, we were kind of clashing a little bit, and it just didn't gel. So he quit. Now we're down to four. And we were going to go back to the original grouping of guys that had that, that had done the first audition, because Howie, they lost his freaking, they lost his resume. So a year later, he got cast back in the band hmm. because his stage name was Tony Dinetti. Tony so Dinetti. So that's uh -huh. why he got lost in the mix. Lou's Lou's casting uh, woman, I can't remember. I think oh, Gloria Sicoli. Um, she couldn't find Howie because he wasn't under Howard Durrell. He was under Tony Dinetti. So cut to, now we're down to four. Kevin's like, listen, I've got this cousin. He lives in Kentucky. He can sing. I'm pretty sure he can dance. I don't know. And Kevin called up Brian. Literally, he was, I think, a senior or junior in high school at the time. And he got called to the office. What up, cuz? He's like, why are you calling me in the middle of class? He's like, well, you know, it's one. Da, 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 da. Hey, I'm in this group. You want to maybe come down to Florida, meet the rest of the guys, and see if this is something that you're interested in. So, cut to Brian showed up to the band house. I'm sure you guys saw the band house at least once or twice. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, maybe you didn't. I don't know. No. We, we that might have fizzled out before mm. you guys started. Yeah, because they put Lou put us in a. Our own band house right across from Universal Studios. Yeah, we were like in like the Lake Buena Vista area. Yeah, it's we were right there on Sand Lake Road. Yeah, yeah. no, mm -hmm. definitely different. Mm -hmm. But we, you know, I was the first one to meet Brian. <laughs> and he showed up in jean shorts, cut off flannel with like the fray. He had a freaking fade. And he's like, hey, y'all, my name's Brian Latro. I'm from Kentucky. I'm Kevin's cousin. I'm like, oh, good God, man. What the hell just walked in the door? And that night, we sat in the garage, which was our little rehearsal space. We had mirrors up and a fake little dance floor. And we picked out the harmonies to It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday by Boys to Men. And two weeks later, we did grad night. Uh, ninety three at SeaWorld, mm -hmm. and that was the, that was it. That was the launch. I mean, yeah. that was the birthing. Obviously, our career. We didn't sign with Jive until like ninety six, ninety seven, mm -hmm. but we did the whole high school, middle school, middle school tour before oh, that. Yeah. The ESM tour. You had to start it. Yeah, Doctor Phillips High. You had to all, play like all, all those little things. Oh yeah. Um, when you got signed to Germany, because it's uh, Munich, Germany, yep. um, BMG Areola. Mm -hmm. Um, what was it like? I've never heard the story of. When you first learned that you got signed with a German label, what did you think of? Because when we got signed over in Germany, I didn't even know that was a possibility. Well, so so we got signed at so the very first one that happened was actually Mercury Records. Mercury Records gave us an uh -huh. offer, and that fell through. And Dave McPherson, who was the head of A and R at Mercury, mm -hmm. moved from Mercury to, over to Jive. Yeah. And, Which was just beginning, maybe yeah, at that time. Yeah, basically took us with him. Uh -huh. So once we got signed to Jive, then we realized that there was, I guess you can call them like mini labels around the globe, mm -hmm. and the U.S. We couldn't find a pot to piss in. Like nobody mm -hmm. really cared, yep. but Germany, Austria, Switzerland loved us. Mm -hmm. So hence the German label, hence us starting and focusing on those territories for the better part of almost like two years. Yeah. Um, Were y'all overnight sensations there? So we we went to we did this thing called the Pop Explosion in Nuremberg, and it was us and EYC were the only two American acts on the bill. 
And our single at the time was We Got It Going On. It had taken off on like RTL and all the different radio stations throughout Europe. And people knew our song. Like it was crazy. We're in our red, white, and blue American mm-hmm. outfits. And, da, da, da. and, uh, and you know, we'd fly back to Orlando and we used to call it No Fan Land. Like we'd get back to the airport and yeah. you, 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 you could hear a pin drop. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like, dang, this sucks, man. You know, but, and but says, we were loved. Land says the exact same oh, story. Yeah. Yeah. Like but verbatim. then Spice Girls came out yeah. and Hanson. Because in the States, it was grunge and rap. That's what that's all radio was playing was Nirvana, Dre, Snoop. There was no room for us. And then Hanson came out with Mbop, Spice Girls, Wannabe. Now pop radio was like, oh, what is this? And it opened the doors. Then we come back, and now there's fans starting to show up. And things started happening. And it was like, whoa, what, what, where, where was the shift? And then it got to the point where we couldn't even, like... We couldn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Couldn't you couldn't do anything. Yeah. You know, I used to frequent the Florida Mall until I couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I got chased down by a tour group of Brazilian girls. It was great. I know. And the only thing we can compare that to was Beatles, New Kids, if you ever like went oh, to their the concert. Kid, absolutely. Hey LA, Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. From epic shopping to nonstop pride events, discoverla.com is your gateway to everything LA. From walk-up windows and rooftop bars to year-round alfresco dining, Los Angeles is a culinary thrill ride sure to leave visitors hungry for more. From tacos to sushi, we truly have some of the best restaurants. After you get a bite to eat, get a taste for fame firsthand by attending a star ceremony on Hollywood Boulevard or glimpse behind the scenes at World Famous Studio Tour. Stop and see a movie at the iconic El Capitan Theater and check out the stairs outside the Dolby Theater where all the stars walk before the Oscars. Take a hike at Glamorous Griffith or stop for a boba or a draft cold brew at an outdoor cafe perfect for people watching. There are endless amounts of outdoor activities in L.A. with our beautiful weather. And, of course, Pride is celebrated every day in Los Angeles. Everyone is welcome to experience our sparkling nightlife, indulgent spas, and sensational shopping. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's time to leave your mark in the City of Angels. Lance Bass, signing off. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, 
It's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You were, how old were you when, like, 18? Probably, like, yeah, like, probably, like, 17, 18 mm-hmm. when, when, like, it really shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you think that affected you uh, in any way just to have all that love coming your way and, I mean, girls chasing you everywhere? It's just something oh, that's, yeah. I mean, no one can really compare no, to No, it's, to you don't, you know, well, because I had a lot of, I personally had a lot of haters. Um, really? Why? Amongst, like, you know, I only went to high school my freshman year. And then I dipped out and I got tutored because we were traveling everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I graduated like a year early when I was 17. Um, but like my chorus teacher at the time, you know, I was so excited and, and I could share this with him. Like, hey, I'm, 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 I'm going to be in this group. It's going to be huge. And he's, don't get your hopes up. Mm-hmm. Don't get your hopes up. And just kept like beating me down with it. And I just, and, and you know, my so-called friends, which are not my friends anymore, were all saying the same thing. Like, oh, this isn't going to last. This isn't going to da 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 And then, I, you know, cut to when things took off and I'd run into these people, you know, they loved me. I was their oh, best course, friend. And I'm like, hey, uh-huh. no, yeah. suck it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a real weird experience to, you know, I'm 45 now and, and, and I feel like in the past four to five years, it's finally started to settle in. Like since there's been this resurgence, since we did our residency, all these things have been happening for the good, uh, it's definitely, finally, I can really truly appreciate it. When you're 17, 18, you don't know what is up mm-hmm. or down. Yeah, all these girls are throwing themselves at you. You're traveling the world. Mm-hmm. It's great, but it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's extremely overwhelming, and it's very time-consuming, and you didn't have time to just be a kid. Right. And you're just, you're becoming an adult. I mean, I remember, I joined in sing at 16, but from Mississippi, that's really like 13. <laughs> like, right. We just, you know, uh, we weren't very advanced. Uh, but when I joined the group, you know, my four guys were already living life. I mean, on their own. I mean, they were right. only 19 themselves, but they had been working already for yeah. so many years. And definitely having relationships, which I really didn't. You know, I was obviously a closeted kid. Yeah. Um, so at that age, being kind of just thrown out into the world and having everyone throw themselves at you, were you the type of normal teenager that like, yeah, just started dating every single girl? Oh, I mean, I, you know, I, it was all older mm-hmm. girls. I mean, I say older, but I was like 17, 18. Mm-hmm. They were like 22. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's an older girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely had my fun yeah. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna deny that because what guy wouldn't at that age when Me. it was just well okay yes <laughs> yeah no but, but i you reasons. know i i i you know it like i said everything happened so fast mm. it was just kind of this whirlwind but really 99 was when it really was kind of when everything kind of went upside down for all of us in a good way but like millennium our biggest album to date that to me was like this overnight insanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, TRL was created because of groups like us. Mm-hmm. You know, the M- M- MTV needed to find a way to retire music videos mm-hmm. and they created TRL. You know, they had the top 20 countdown, they had the rock countdown, but they didn't have anything for. The Insyncs, the Backstreets, mm-hmm. the Christina, the Britney, the the fanatics, you know, the the mm-hmm. Blink One Eighty Twos, and all of this that was that era, the Hansons, the Spice Girls, all of it. So, you know, when we shut down Times Square, when all these things happened, it was just when you couldn't go anywhere is when it really kind of hit us. And some of us took it better than others. Others mm-hmm. really kind of became more of like a recluse, right? Um, and kind of ducked back in their shell. Um, and how do you know how you're going to act until it's happening? Exactly. When you're in it, mm-hmm. you don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I took it and ran with it. And then, unfortunately, shortly after, I took it the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, you know, because I just, I kind of lost my identity. I kind of yeah. lost myself. Yeah. You know? Well, let's talk about that because, yeah, everyone handles fame in a different way. I always say I was I'm so happy that I was in a group instead of solo because mm. at least in a group we had 
amazing family members around us, right? Like we were very tight with our family, which I think kept us very down to earth. Mm-hmm. I had four other best friends that would just slap you across the face if you did anything stupid. Oh yeah. Um, but then some of us go off and you know do some stupid things, and you know with you and um, you know that's when your addiction started. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how did that start? Do you remember the first time you had a drink? The first time I actually had a drink, I was probably about. 18 i had a beer with this girl i was dating and i hated it i thought it was the most it just i mean it does taste like piss it, was, the first it time. tastes like piss yeah. i was like this is not that i know what piss tastes like Let's just clarify <laughs> that real quick uh but it was it was it was just gross and it was like flat water or like flat whatever soda but um like my first real drink um i don't even know why but we were at an after party or like an end of tour party and I was I was always the guy that would hang out with our crew or our band. I knew everyone's first and last name. I knew their families. I said hi to everybody in the crew every day that we showed up for a show. Um, that's just the person I am. You know, some of the boys may have known a few people, but I made it a point to make myself known. I want to know everybody yeah. um, because they're the heart and soul of any tour. They're the ones that put the show together. And um, one of the guys handed me a shot. And I tried to drink it, and it was the most disgusting thing I've ever tried in my life. And it was Sambuca. Oh, uh, that licorice. Yeah. yeah. Then, then I, then I went back for another one, and I was like, oh, okay. I kind of, I kind of like this little burning sensation. Yeah. So Sambuca was my first drink of choice, mm-hmm. and then uh, I got alcohol poisoning, and that that then moved to whiskey. And then Jack was my was my demise. Yeah. Jack's Jack's the one that ended me up in rehab for the first time. Yeah. Jack then then Jack led to drugs. Yeah. Which wasn't too far and after it, that. It is crazy because, you know, I, I said on the last episode, you know, I drank a lot at that age just because I was trying to hide something, right? To no. numb something. Um and I feel like I'm just the type of person that might not have that uh, uh, that addiction just doesn't really stick to me because mm-hmm. I I could go weeks without drinking if I wanted to. Yeah, but I mean, I, I was a late bloomer for sure. Like, yeah. I didn't, you know, I had friends, you know, going out when they're 21, getting annihilated. Mm. I didn't really pick up a drink till I was about 25. Yeah. Like, really drink, like, drink, mm. drink. Was there something mm. you were trying to hide and numb at that I think, age? I think for me, um, you know, I'm just now at 45 kind of in this... I've been sober now for about almost 16 months 17 yeah. months now congratulations uh, thank you and i this is the first time that i've that i'm finally on this true trip of self-discovery mm-hmm. and i'm learning now what set these things off um whether it was abandonment issues from my from my dad leaving or you know for me um even though people know me as this outgoing flamboyant fun guy uh I'm I'm I've got very low self-esteem. Like I'm really an introvert and I do all those things in my mind I think it's making me feel like I'm like I'm better mm-hmm. then, but when I finally get to a place where I know I'm no better and no worse than the person next to me and when I get to a place that I can honestly truly love myself and believe that I have worth, will I finally have gotten to the place that I've been trying to get to mm-hmm. for the last I don't know, 25, 30 years. But I mean, it's a daily thing. And, but I am learning a lot more about myself today because I'm taking the time to do Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I'm doing the writing. I'm doing my 12 steps that I'm supposed to do in AA. And I'm finally, it's really painful because normally around this time, the pain that I'm in currently I would pick up a drink yeah, because I don't want to feel that pain. What do you put it into now? Because, I mean, I just see the motivation with you now. I You are in the best shape of your life, I, it looks you. like. <laughs> um, so, I mean, what what are you putting that into? Is it just... I'm putting it into health. I'm putting it into my kids. I'm putting it into my family. But most importantly, I'm putting it into myself. Like, I'm wearing all my emotions on my sleeve now. And if something comes up, and I don't like the way I feel, I call my sponsor, I talk to my family, I talk to my friends, and I just talk about it. As opposed to me holding it inside and just trying to handle it on my own, it's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. I try to do it, my ego told me, you got this, 
You could do this on your own. You don't need help. You don't need a 12-step program. You don't need a sponsor. You don't need to talk to your family. Don't burden anybody else with your BS. But it's not burdening anyone. It's just having an outlet to talk about it. Um, How does your wife, Rochelle, how how did she deal with that? I mean, she obviously knew what you were going through. She, you know, she, at the beginning of our relationship 13 years ago, um, she thought the drugs and the drinking was like a casual thing. Mm -hmm. She, you know, I mean, hell, I did blow in front of her, Mm -hmm. but she thought it was just a casual thing. Oh, you Mm -hmm. know, he does this once in a while. Mm Then she started to see it's okay. This is now Monday through Friday, Monday through Sunday. Now it's it's sometimes multiple times a day, and you know I I put her through the ringer, um, you know, and she deserves every award known to man, both as a wife and as a mother and as just a human being um, to put up with my shit. But um, you know, honestly, she. She ended up going to Al-Anon, which is basically AA for normies. Um, they put you through the same 12-step program that we go through, except you don't have a, mm-hmm. a drug or drinking problem. Just to understand. But to really understand yeah. what goes on in my cuckoo mind, because mm-hmm. my mind is pretty uh, cuckoo. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, we've we've really come to a place of understanding that you know, she gets that relapse is part of the deal. Now, for me, relapse is off the table because I don't have another one in me. Mm. The fentanyl crisis is terrifying. Mm-hmm. I don't, I literally deleted every single one of my dealer's numbers out of my phone, mm. which means if I wanted to get drugs, I'd have to go to some rando at a bar or club and you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, that's dangerous. And yeah. that could be the end of me, you know, and I'm not going to leave my kids fatherless or my wife a widow mm-hmm. because of something as frivolous as that. Yeah. So, I remember we didn't even know each other that well, but I, I want to say it was the time when you did the call yep. because we were staying at the Lair Mortage. We just happened to be staying at the same hotel. And I remember you saw me or something. You're like, hey, come in here. And it was in the theater of the Lair Mortage, mm-hmm. right? They had this like little theater you could That's screen right. things. And it was just you in there drinking by yourself. I think probably straight Jack Daniels. Yep. And you're like, come in here. So I went in there and you showed me the video and you were kind of incoherent yeah then i was like oh my god it was the first time that i realized oh my gosh aj has a problem yeah um and it just really it was the first time i ever seen anyone uh that i would consider like an alcoholic no yeah and never knew what that looked like um and i remember just feeling like oh my god i hope someone has your back do people know that you have this problem so well, i don't I know kept if you it remember in, that. i kept it in the closet for as long as i could uh-huh. un- until it finally started to affect my job, my day-to-day life, you know, the boys were oblivious because I still showed up on time. Mm-hmm. I still did my job. You were functioning. Alcoholic. I was a functioning alcoholic yeah. until I wasn't functioning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was still living in, uh, in Phillips landing back in Orlando. And, um, when we were in rehearsals for the black and blue tour and I called in sick I wasn't sick. I was just hungover mm-hmm. and in like what they called a coke coma. Like I had, I hadn't been to, to bed in days. And the boys finally started to kind of catch on a little bit that this was more than just drinking. They broke into my house. Mm-hmm. They went to my kitchen. I had a walk. I don't even know why I had a walk. I never cooked in my house, mm-hmm. but I had a walk. <laughs> and they filled it with ice water and they dumped it on my head wow. and uh, woke me up. I was pissed as hell. I told them I was going to call the cops for breaking into my house, get the hell out of my house. Showed up to rehearsal later that day. We all discussed it. Water under the bridge. Then I I knew that it was that I was I was I was crossing a personal line when I finally started drinking on stage. Mm-hmm. The second to last song of our show uh because the encore was shaping my heart cuz that was the single off. That was the big single off Black and Blue. We would do the call and then go into shape of my heart. And uh, our percussion player would have these two red solo cups sitting at his rig. One was water, one was straight jack. So I did this whole shtick where it's a fake phone call and I'm talking to the girl and like the intro of the song. And, I, and I'd be like, hey, is it you calling me? And I would look at my band and then I'd go and I, and I would be like, oh, I'm, so, I'm, I'm, I'm like parched. And I would just chug that son of a bitch. Mm. And it wouldn't really hit me till like the end of the show that I'm like, oh, okay. And then by then I'm back in the hotel room. But that's when it was like, okay, dude, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I would tell myself this, like, what are you doing? You're did, drinking on stage. Did now. you ever feel like you would be kicked out of the band at any point? No, but yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I was kind of high and mighty at that time. And the boys flew out a therapist that I never used to be on the road. Then they would do random drug testing with me. And <laughs> as a true addict, I tried to BS my way out of my drug test by paying off one of the local crew guys to piss in a cup. So I do it. And then I literally, th- this is the extent that I went to. I put it in a bag. This guy's pee. Random guy. Put it in a bag. Mm. Fancied a little hose that I could get because our tour manager had to watch me pee, right? So I had the hose come down my long sleeve into my hand, and I stood at the freaking urinal, and I just unpinched it, and then it peed. So cut to drug test results come back. There's like seven drugs. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, 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 okay. okay. This isn't my pee. This is not my pee. I lied. I'm sorry. The only drug I have is cocaine and some alcohol. Oh I didn't do whatever the hell else is in this guy's oh body. Gosh. Yeah, maybe not do a local like. Yeah, road crew no. Yet. So, but you know. So then, then it then it kind of came to the. So then, the kind of precipice was we were supposed to throw the first pitch out at. I, th- I, I think it was the first game of the season, Major League Baseball, uh, Boston Red Sox game. How do five um, of you throw a first pitch? Well, I, it wouldn't have been me, that's for <laughs> sure. Like, but so the night before we had a show, management sat us down in the dressing room and said, hey, I know it's y'all's day off, but can y'all do this? Are you guys in? And we all five said, sure. So I did, I did agree. Cut two, went out that night, didn't go to bed. Talked to my tour manager that raised next morning and said, I'm out. I'm not doing it. And he's like, look, you need to talk to your bandmates. I, I can't let you make that call. I'm like, well, I'm telling you, I'm not going. So I told Kevin he was pissed off. And he came to try to get in my room. I double bolted everything. He broke down the door to the hotel room, but he couldn't get into the master bedroom. That had a double bolt. Mm-hmm. We exchanged some words. And the last thing he said to me was, I don't trust you. You're dead to me. Mm. And he left. I called my security to the room. I called our manager to the room, and I said, "I quit. Really? I quit. I, I'm not gonna. I, I don't. I don't deserve this. I'm not gonna put up with this. They're crazy. I'm done." And the therapist finally shows up, and she's like, "Look, this is your options. I don't think quitting the group is the answer, but I think you need help." So I'm suggesting, and I've already made a phone call, they have a bed waiting for you at Sierra Tucson in Tucson, Arizona. It's a treatment center. And I was like, well, can I go home first? I wanted to see my mom. And she's like, well, you can, but I, I suggest against it because moms with addicts that are new to this, they mm-hmm. want to be mom. Yeah. They want to fix you. Mm-hmm. She's not going to be able to fix you. Only you can fix you with the proper help. And so I went door to door. I left from Boston, flew straight to Arizona, and that was my first time in treatment. That was uh, July 9th, 2001. Hey, LA, Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. From epic shopping to nonstop pride events, discoverla.com is your gateway to everything LA. From walk-up windows and rooftop bars to year-round alfresco dining, Los Angeles is a culinary thrill ride sure to leave visitors hungry for more. From tacos to sushi, we truly have some of the best restaurants. After you get a bite to eat, get a taste for fame firsthand by attending a star ceremony on Hollywood Boulevard or glyphs behind the scenes at World Famous Studio Tour. Stop and see a movie at the iconic El Capitan Theater and check out the stairs outside the Dolby Theater where all the stars walk before the Oscars. Take a hike at Glamorous Griffith or stop for a boba or a draft cold brew at an outdoor cafe perfect for people watching. There are endless amounts of outdoor activities in L.A. with our beautiful weather. And, of course, Pride is celebrated every day in Los Angeles. Everyone is welcome to experience our sparkling nightlife, indulgent spas, and sensational shopping. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's time to leave your mark in the City of Angels. Lance Bass, signing off.
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Is there, I mean, you you know, Kevin breaking the door down, you know, as, you know, uh, a recovering addict, is there a way it should have been approached to you that would have been better? Or are you just happy that anything like that happened? Because no, this is a good frosted tip A hundred percent. It was exactly the way that it should have transpired. Okay. I, you know, the boys did not know how to deal with right. I mean, an who addict. Does? Yeah. You don't know the extent of how bad it is, but they had seen the progression up to that point, And I think Kevin was probably the most hip to it mm-hmm. and just... It was the straw that broke the camel's back at that point. Yeah. And he, I I think it was more fear-based than anger from him. I think he was terrified that I was going to wind up dead. Mm-hmm. So it, it was from a loving place. Right. Um, and, you know, Kevin and Brian actually came to visit me in treatment. And, you know, we had talked about how do we, how do we work the tour? How do we finish the tour? What do we do? Um, and it just so happened that... Nick had just broken his hand. So um, we had to take the tour down. Mm -hmm. And the boys went on to TRL the very next day. They flew out to New York and they they said that, you know, our brother's going to treatment. And to this day, I've never watched that episode. I've never seen it. Um, All I know is from what I've heard is that it's a tear fest. The fans were all hysterical. Um, People were genuinely concerned. Um, You know, the boys were all teary eyed and, you know, this is this is their brother. But I guess everyone is different and how they would like to be approached. But do you have any tips out there for someone listening that has a family member, a friend that they just know has a problem with alcohol? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, at the end of the day, if you have a friend, if you have a loved one, if you have someone that, you know, is struggling, sit them down and just say, hey. Talk to me. I see you're hurting. 
something is off, something is bothering you, talk to me. And if they want to, they will. If they don't, they don't. But don't don't make it about yourself. Don't make it that you're better than or that you know they have a problem. Don't approach it that way. You've got to be inviting. You've got to be patient and you got to be understanding. Yeah. Um, yes, it's mm-hmm. got to be a safe place. You can't come in, you know, guns blazing like, you're a drunk. I know you are. Yeah. Quit yeah. that, you know. No, you get you defensive. Yeah. You get defensive. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the claws come out, you get pinned in a corner. That's how I was. I felt attacked, even though I was desperate for help. Mm-hmm. I wanted help, but I didn't know how to ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. it's different for everybody. But it, it look, thank God today, finally, the mental health crisis is not tucked under the rug anymore. Yes, it is goodness. now up on the it's mm-hmm. up on the rooftop screaming out this is a this is a thing. Mm-hmm. It is an epidemic. It mm-hmm. is affecting millions and millions of people across the globe. Mm-hmm. Um you know, whether it's depression, anxiety, yeah. drugs, alcohol, and it's um, harder to see because yeah. you're not falling down some steps or no. slurring. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean I, you know, without getting emotional about it, you know, I will go to i'm sure our mutual friend twitch mm-hmm. you know i mean that i i'm still it still kills me mm-hmm. to this day um you know i've sobbed about it mm-hmm. because when you know someone that well and you just we we as addicts we as people that are suffering from any kind of mental health depression anxiety we are the best at hiding it we can keep it under wraps we deserve like the oscar of oscars Mm -hmm. because if we don't want you to know you're you're never going to know until we get sloppy then everybody knows like you see me at the lermitage i obviously i got sloppy Mm -hmm. you saw it didn't really know how to react Mm -hmm. um you know but again this is a thing that is affecting everybody whether it's affecting you directly or you know someone that is suffering from a mental health concern you know but again i'm glad it's not under the freaking rug anymore 100 percent. and this week uh you know we're going to be working with on our sleeves which is an amazing organization uh to tackle uh, children's mental health yes um well like here's the thing about that is that you're a parent you're a parent i'm a parent Mm -hmm. everything starts at home i believe that one trillion percent How you raise your kids will set them up for, as well as their teachers, people mm-hmm. that they idolize, that, that they respect, that is going to set them up for either failure 100%. or set them up for success. And in more ways than one, I'm so glad that I am an addict so that I could share with my kids the horror stories of what I've been through and hopefully put the fear of God in them. Now, look, they're going to take their own path. And I will support them, whatever that is. And I will be there to catch them when they fall. That's what a good father does. Mm -hmm. But if I could help them dodge a couple bullets along the way, I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm a helicopter dad. There's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) I am going to admit that right now. Like, even even being in an open field, I'm like, stop running. Please don't run. But how can you not? Stop running. You just want to protect your kids at all costs. But but I'm so bad. Mm. I'm so bad. (laughs) And, you know, kids are resilient. Like, if they fall off the couch, it's a scrape. If we fall off the couch, we're in the hospital for like a week and we broke our hip. No shit, yeah. It's like, God. Now, uh, when this airs, the uh, Songs for Tomorrow would have already uh, happened, you know, Mm -hmm. last Wednesday. Um, You know, Aaron Carter, obviously was very close with you. I'm sure mm-hmm. felt like your own little brother. Yep. Um, what what would you like to come out of a tragedy like this? You know, what conversation should we be having? I think the conversation that should be being had is, again, um, kind of piggybacking on what you were saying. If you know someone is hurting and you can see it plain as day, Say something. Yeah. Don't don't stay mute about it. Even if they fight you on it, at least it gives them an opportunity to see that there's someone there that actually sees them, yeah. that cares about them. Now, whether they accept the help or not, yeah. who knows? I mean, he reached out to me years back and asked for help. And I willingly was like, okay, 
this is what I suggest you do. You need to fly out here. You need to go to this treatment center that I called. I've got it all set up for you. And he wasn't going to come. He did. Got a car service for him. He got to the treatment center. He checked in. He told them, I don't want anyone to be able to contact me except for him. And two days later, he checked himself out. Mm -hmm. And four days after that, put me on blast all over Twitter, oh, saying yeah. that I was doing it to glorify myself, which right. is not true. They but always that's, lash But out that's like that. what addicts do. Yeah. We, If we're not ready to get sober... It's you, you're, you're the fault. Mm -hmm. You're, you're at fault. It's you. It's not me. You're the problem. Da, 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 da. Um, but, uh, you know, can I say that I'm shocked? No, sadly. Did any of us want this? Hell no. It's, it's just, it's just tragic. It's just tragic. It's tragic. Well, you feel helpless because, you know, I got close with him. I, I hosted a tour, you know, a few, a couple of years ago, he was on that tour and it seemed like he was doing so well, right? It was there was a long you know? stint where he was doing really well, and then like halfway through the tour, you could tell like, okay, he's definitely huffing again, and you know, there's just something yeah. wrong. He wanted, he kept coming to me because of the Lou Perlman documentary. He's like, I want to do a doc, I want to do a doc about my addiction and all this. So I was like, wow, that's so great that he wants to expose that, and I thought that right. would be so great for him to reflect on what he's mm -hmm. been through and kind of see it like, oh my gosh, right. I because in the documentary that we did, he wasn't in his right mind. Like it was, yeah. that was the first time I ever saw him and said, Oh, he, he has a major problem yeah. right now. Um, and we all tried to do whatever we could, but yeah. like you said, unless you, unless you want it, yeah. you're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, I've even seen buddies of mine that were court ordered and they still yeah. can't get it. I mean, it's some people have to lose everything or unfortunately mm -hmm. lose their own life, which as, as horrible as it is to say, hopefully helps another life mm -hmm. um you know to not go to that point mm -hmm. um you know that's in the 12-step program that i'm in that's what the final step is is being of service helping other alcoholics helping other addicts and just being of service being a a, a stand-up member of society yeah. and you know i'm not the smartest sharpest tack in the freaking shed. I get that. It's fine. But if my life experiences can be shared with another human being, there's going to be, there's going to be some kind of mirrored effect mm -hmm. between me and any other addict. We've all been through the same shit yeah. period, just different levels of it. Mm -hmm. If I can help another addict by sharing my story and walking them through the same program that I'm being walked through, then great. Yeah. You know, but again, you have to be willing to want to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some people like, you know, Jordan, mm -hmm. you know, quit cold turkey. Yeah. Just cold turkey. Never been to a meeting, never done anything. Just quit cold turkey. And he's been sober for God knows how many years now. Mm -hmm. You know, that is for some people that works for me. No, I need structure mm -hmm. to help facilitate, to help me find me. Yeah. You know, that's so great. I love that you talk about this. I know people listening right now are, you know, really relating okay so let's just hold right here actually this looks like it's going to be a two-parter uh so we will come back and release part two this week yeah we're going long all right so we have so much to talk about still we'll see you for part two in a couple of days hey thanks for listening follow us on instagram at frosted tips with lance and michael turgenart and at lance bass for all your pop culture needs and make sure to write us a review and leave us five stars six if you can see you next time Hey, LA, Lance Bass here with the latest in the City of Angels. Immerse yourself in our vibrant fashion scene where exclusive streetwear meets high-end boutiques. Stroll through styles defining our bold, wildly creative city, like the unique finds at Melrose Trading Post, a real LA gem. Explore star-studded experiences on Hollywood Boulevard, behind-the-scenes studio tours, and moments of awe under our legendary blue sky. Picture this. The iconic Griffith Observatory, inspiring directors worldwide. Plan your weekend at discoverla.com. It's the time to leave your mark in the city of angels. Lance Bass, signing off.
Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.